Hello, everyone. Welcome to Health Chatter, episode one. Wow, exciting, exciting for all of us. Hello, Clarence. Hey, how are Stan, you? How, I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good, good. I hope and you had a good night's sleep. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's okay. what health is all about. You, gotta, you, have to, you have to have a good night's sleep. Exactly. Welcome to our illustrious crew. Without them, uh, this would not be possible. So thank you to our, our production lead, Matthew Campbell, and our research slash artist, um, Aaron Collins, and our researcher, Maddie Levine-Wolf. You guys are super, and um, thank you for all your your talent. So, Clarence, you want to tell our gang about and our audience about Human? Because without Human, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be doing this as well. Well, Sam, I want to thank you for the opportunity. Human is really excited about being a one of the sponsors for this show. We would we could always get another sponsor, we, you know. So we want we don't want to be the only one, but uh, Human is a uh, collaboration or coalition of organizations that work together for the benefit of, of promoting uh, public health. Uh, we have organizations like uh, HMOs, we have the universities, we have uh, individuals, we have uh, neighborhood organizations, and uh, we're really excited about the opportunity to be here to talk with our community honestly and openly, and also to present the community's viewpoint around public health issues. And so I want to uh, thank you for the opportunity as well. And I also want to commend our uh, the students that are here and will be hearing their voices as well for the work that they have done. So you might want to spell human yeah. for the audience here. So human is spelled capital H-U-E dash capital M-A-N partnership. And what it stands for is every man has hue and all of us are human. And so we are very, very inclusive in our work, uh, trying to promote the whole idea about good community health. It's a great, great organization. Highly, highly recommend its linkage. And thank you very, very much. So today we are going to talk about the state of the state. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you don't get that many opportunities to kind of just sit back and say, okay, really, what the heck is going on? Okay, are we better? Are we worse? Are we are we moving in, in the right direction as it relates to health? So um, what we thought would be interesting to, to is to put this in perspective a little bit. Okay, so all of us that are on this podcast, um, live in uh, Hennepin County in the Twin Cities of uh, Minnesota. And um, it's really interesting. If you think back, you don't have to think back, I'll tell you. Back in the 19th century, okay, which is always confusing. It's really the 1800s. The latter part of the 1800s, uh, disease was a lot different than what we have today. So the number one cause of death, right where we're, we're seated right now, was typhoid. I mean, that's not even in our, our psyche today. 
okay? And the others are malaria, tuberculosis, dysentery, tetanus, cholera, all these things, diphtheria. The number one cause of death was actually um, tuberculosis. And we also saw a lot of infantile deaths um, back then due to gastroenteritis. Um, and that came from, believe it or not, the fact that we didn't have um, good, clean milk. Okay, so aha, think about that. Pasteurization of milk happened in the latter part of the 1800s. The other thing to keep in mind is um, this was a, a period of our history where we really focused on the, uh, the germ theory. In other words, reduced down to some kind of a causative agent in our bodies and then zap it. Okay, so this is when really vaccination came to the forefront. And fortunately, because of vaccinations, we have not had to deal with, with many of these diseases um, going, going forward. That kind of puts an interesting perspective on vaccination today, doesn't it, as it relates to um, COVID. So again, the number one cause of death back then was tuberculosis, gastroenteritis. Also, believe it or not, accidents. But today, accidents is still on that list, believe it or not. Um, but different kinds of accidents. Back then, it was, um, it focused mostly on farming related accidents. Because think about it, the type of things that we have accidents are a lot different. The number one cause of accidents today in, in the United States is automobile accidents. And so it, it, things just change, but yet we have accidents today. Today in the state of Minnesota, so okay, now fast forward, you know, 2022, my goodness, 150 some odd years later, the number one cause of, of death in the state of Minnesota is cancer followed very closely by um, heart disease and stroke. If you combine heart disease and stroke under the title of cardiovascular disease, then those combined push us up to that to number one cause of death. Cardiovascular disease is, is number one. But believe it or not, um, accidents is uh, number four. So um, things have changed well these, well these years. Um, we're dealing with um, diseases of the age today. And um, those things are a lot different than what was back in the latter part of the 1800s. You can't zap cardiovascular disease with a vaccine, at least not yet. Can't zap cancer with a vaccine, not yet. So we're really dealing with multi, those diseases that have many, many causes to them. And that's why it's a little bit more difficult to prevent. Well, you know, Stan, one of the things I wanna share is that uh, 
you're absolutely correct. Uh, there, there, there have been many, many changes in in diseases. You mentioned the show. You started off by saying we're in Hennepin County. Uh, we're in the state of Minnesota, which is one of the healthiest states. In fact, uh, I recently saw an article where I think we're number five now. We used to be number two, you know, number one, those kinds of things. We're starting to slip in that particular area. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not always, you know, if we talk about the state of the state. And we, I know we're going to get into this, but it's not always the, the, the healthiest state for everybody. I think that's one of the other things that we want right. to, right. to talk about. And uh, I think it's important to... Uh, when we selected this topic, we selected it to talk about a variety of different things, but we also selected it because we wanted to hear what young people are thinking, you know, because they are going to be confronted. You mentioned typhoid and all those other kinds of things. I don't know what they're going to be looking at in, the tw in, in 20 years from now, and maybe they can start to tell us what they might be looking at. Maddie, Matthew, Aaron, what do you think? I'm just going to jump in here. Yeah. Um, you know, I think even over the past, like, uh, five or so years, I've like really taken a new approach to health and really learned a lot about different diseases we're focusing on. I, you know, I got into the public health world and then COVID hit and that's really changed the way I look at health in general. And I think it's shaped, it, you know, it kind of shapes my career moving forward and kind of shapes the way I look at health moving forward and what it means to be healthy. And so I, you know, I think I don't, if anyone else wants to speak with this, but you know, it's kind of definitely, changed my perspective. Yeah. Um, just to add to that, I think something that I have um, started to see for myself is all the ways that health intersects with so many other different things. I think when I was younger, I was just kind of like, okay, my health is one thing. And, you know, you know, climate change is another thing and food systems are another thing. Um, and the environment is another thing. But I think now, especially with, you know, climate change being more and more um, present and pervasive. Um, and like Matthew said, with COVID coming on, you can just kind of see how, you know, disparities and systemic issues and health and the environment and access to food and access to other resources, how those really all intermingle. And I would anticipate that that's what we'll just start to see so much more of um, in the next 20 years plus is all the ways that all of our systems um, interact. And I think that'll be really interesting as sort of people from all fields um, start to kind of overlap in what they're in what they're doing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Years ago, when I um, when I was teaching at the U, um, we were talking about um, how different populations by age embrace health, and it was interesting back then. Uh, youth, younger people, had the the illusion of immortality. Okay. And so like, if you asked a teenager, you know, about health issues, and if you told them about heart disease or stroke or something, they'd look at you like, you know, you, you were crazy. They were more concerned about bad breath and zits than they were about, um, about the, the chronic diseases. But, um, well, these years, um, I've come to realize that I think the younger population is um, is more cognizant and more aware 
of um, chronic diseases than I certainly, um, well, I knew, you know, back then when we asked them than they were back then. So Matthew, you were, you were going to chime in there. Yeah. You know, I was just going to say, I think a lot of this transition, I think we'll talk about this in a later episode, go more in depth, but it's, you know, this with social media, we have so much more, um, we can look into other people's lives in a way we couldn't before. And so we're able to share our lives and experiences regarding health. And so, you know, people do live with chronic disease. People our age live with chronic disease. And it's like now we're seeing that in ways that we just were incapable of seeing it before. So I think, yeah, you know, some of these point. things have always been around. It's just now we're, it's a lot more visible and we're a lot more in tune with these right. things. It's like in front of your face more. Yeah. 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 So it, um, Go ahead, Glenn. Yeah, no, no. So one of the things that, you know, I, th I think that one of the reasons why we really wanted to show was the fact that we do have, we do have uh, the opportunity to talk about different things. One of the things as it relates to, for me, and to the state of the state of Minnesota and what we're going through is that we now have a much more aging workforce. I mean, we're having people with COVID that are uh, saying, like, I've had enough. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's one of the things that, uh, you know, we should be talking about, should be discussing or should be thinking about as we get, as we get older. I know that, uh, uh, it's important for me to have good, good healthcare. And, uh, anyway, so that's, that's, that's one of the things that came up out of that quick conversation with you two guys. With you two. So I got to tell you guys a, a, a little story that I think will kind of put this all in perspective for all of us. Um, years and years ago, I taught um, what was uh, to a student who was um, had some learning disabilities, health, because they were required to in, in school. And I asked, her name was Karen, and I said, Karen, can you draw me a picture of health? And by the way, she had asthma, okay? So she, she drew this circle. If you can imagine a circle, and then at the very end of the circle, she put a little squiggle. And so I said, hmm, Karen, can you explain that for me? She said, well, this is health, the circle, and that little squiggle is my asthma. And then without batting an eye, she said, and guess what? Everybody has a little squiggle. <laughs> wow. Wow. Think about that. Everybody has squiggles. They all they all change over over time. Um, we have different health issues, and we interact with people with different health issues. But everybody's got a squiggle. Isn't that great, Aaron? What do you think about all this? I want to come back to um, you know 150 years ago versus today. Um, we've, we're facing new challenges. You know, we're not dealing with tuberculosis, but now we're dealing with uh, health disparities. We're dealing with um, drinking water issues. We're dealing with access to care and cost of care. And as much as they're drastically different, they're equally as difficult. I think that's super interesting, the, the complete 180 that public health has taken. Yeah, it's also interesting, and you know, thanks to our thanks to our illustrious research group here. Um, 
how public health became um, imposed on all of this. And we'll get into that at, at actually our next show. But, um, you know, it's like it all of a sudden it became important to um, measure or have data available to it. Who's dying? Who's dying from what? Where are they dying? Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, you know, surveillance and data and analysis of it in order to make a difference um, really started back a long time ago. And um, it's really important yet today when you when you think about COVID, just to bring something, you know, that's right in front of our faces. Um, one of the important things is surveillance and uh, where it's happening, how it's spreading, where it's, you know, who's getting infected more worldwide, by the way, worldwide. Clarence, you're nodding. Yeah, yeah, I'm nodding. You know, one of the things that I'm thinking about is as, as we're talking, Aaron, and you kind of brought this up too, was, you know, 150 years ago, we used to trust our doctors. You know, we used to kind of sort of we would trust that we would trust those people. They would come out even if they were hucksters, they would come out with, you know, this new, you know, this new uh, drink that would say, hey, if you take this, you know, it'll, it'll make your leg grow, you know, what I'm saying or something like that. Or, or it would remove the acne. But today we have a real problem. I mean, when we start talking about the state of the state, we have a real problem when it comes to talking about who who are the trusted messengers for us as it relates to health. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't make no qualms about it. I mean, you know, you, you just talked about the fact that we have Matthews. I mentioned the, the the internet. We've got the internet. We've got this. We've got that, and so everybody can be a doctor now. But <laughs> what and how do we stay a healthy state when we have so much misinformation? When we have so much distrust around the around the uh, the work that's going on? What is the role of public health? in terms of making these issues clearer, you know, and how do we, how do we work together to make that happen? So those are the kind of things that I'm thinking about as we're talking about this is that uh, people don't trust their doctors anymore. You know, people are self-medicating. I mean, that's why we have the, you know, we, we have the opioid and we have the substance abuse issues that we have and we're having people, you know, taking their own mushrooms and stuff like that. Uh, so what do you think about that? I mean, what 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 has happened in this 150 years that that has well, made this change? You know, you you bring up a really important point how things have kind of moved, okay? So for um a while certainly I would I would say oh as soon as maybe the around the year 2000, around those years um the trusted healthcare professional, believe it or not, was the community pharmacist. Now, notice I said community, all right? It's, it's because somebody could go in there, get their medications, whether it's an actual prescription or an over-the-counter medication, and have a conversation with their, with their pharmacist. And their pharmacist had... Uh, an analysis right there, the records of how these drugs that they were taking could potentially interact. So notice I said community. Community, it, it's like, where do you go to get trusted information? I, I remember when my mother, you know, she, she passed away at the age of 94. 
it was an absolute given that her trusted healthcare professional was her primary care physician. Okay. I remember at one point I asked her, mom, do you know what a community health worker is? Or would you use a community health worker? And she said, what is it? <laughs> okay. Yet, you know, fast forward to today, we have, um, we, I think we call them allied health professionals or other health professionals that can, that can help in a community setting. And I think that's kind of what, what we're morphing into more and more is how it is that we can embrace our communities. I'd like to hear from, 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 from uh, Maddie, Matthew and Aaron. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, who, who, who's your trusted messenger? Yeah. I was actually thinking about this. I was like trying to find the time to jump in. Uh, so just kind of from my own personal experience over the past, um, several months, I don't have a primary care doctor. I have a primary care team. Potentially I have, uh, physicians I can visit on campus. Uh, I have telehealth visits through my insurance company that I can coordinate with, but I don't have a single point of contact, a single physician that I would say that I would trust or that I even coordinates my care. It's more of what do I need in this moment? This is what I need. And telehealth uh, or this, that, and the other. And so we're kind of in public health. So I kind of like, you know, I hear from a lot of public health and community workers. So, you know, that's kind of my stream of knowledge, but it's like, I've, um, I've talked with some, you know, friends outside the area of public health and I'll, it's influencers, it's social media. And, you know, that kind of goes back to the, the, the misinformation. It's like, how are we ensuring that the information that is out there is accurate and correct? And that, so it's just kind of, for me personally, it's like I hear stuff on TikTok or Instagram and Twitter, and it's like, okay, I'll have to double check. And then I go and I scour through Google a couple of times. And I'm like, okay, that was right, or that that's not so right. But I don't have that person that I can go to and ask those questions. Erin, Manny, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would like to start by saying I think that as public health professionals, our answer may possibly be a little biased. Uh, because we're dedicating our graduate careers to studying public health. Of course, we're people who trust the WHO, we're people who trust the CDC. Um, so I think as far as like the rest of the population, you know, you're not really getting a very uh, representative answer. You're talking to three MPH students. Um, but personally, um, as a type one diabetic, I have an endocrinologist we message on the weekly basis. If I have questions, I know I can call, I know I can text. That is my trusted professional personally. But um, representatively, I think asking, you know, a bunch of public health professionals who we trust, of course we trust the public health community. You know, we're, we're dedicating our studies to it. Um, but super interesting question. And I'd love to hear from people who are listening or, you know, maybe it would be a really interesting survey to ask in a census, who is the person that you trust with your health? Maddie, what do you think? Yeah, I kind of feel like I, the first thing I thought about when we started talking about this was from a sort of access or lack thereof access perspective. Um, you know, I think one of the, the big, I guess, problems for lack of a better word is that there is such a variety of who the trusted messenger is that makes it really hard to relay information. Clarence, like you said, that 
makes it really easy for so much misinformation to spread. And I feel like for me, I recognize the privilege that I have that if I, you know, needed a doctor, I know who to go to. If I needed to see a specialist, I have the connections to be able to see a specialist. I have, you know, medical professionals in my family that I can just text or call. But I think it makes it that much more difficult for certain communities and certain individuals to to access those kinds of resources and connections. And so, you know, who who are the trusted messengers or people that, you know, those communities and individuals turn to? And then how do we, you know, dig through all of the information or misinformation to seek out trusted sources? So you know, it's just, it's so, it's so complex. And I think it's, it's just makes it all the more challenging when there's, you know, it's even questionable who the trusted messenger is, right? Like, again, like Aaron said, because we all believe in science and believe in health and believe in medicine, like, you know, in my opinion, we should all be trusting the same sources, which are scientists and medical professionals. But um, that isn't the case. And so how do we move through that? So I just I think it's really complex. And it's such an interesting question. But I think it's one that we that we have to answer, though. I mean, you know, as as as, uh, we talk about the various communities that are impacted and individuals that are impacted and and populations that are impacted, we have to figure out what's going to be the most effective message and messengers in order to address these issues. Otherwise, we're going to continue to have the health disparities that we that we have, and we're going to continuously to have the misinformation. We're going to uh, continue to to not have people to um, to help with this because people are not going to trust the science. They don't trust the science. They don't trust the research. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I think that what makes this podcast so important is that, you know, we do community surveys and things like that. And what you keep hearing is that, well, we don't, we don't, we don't trust that. How do you, how do you, how do you help people who are uh, not trusting? And, and yet at the same time, their illnesses are affecting everybody. Right. You know, that's the, that's the point for me is that, you know, you don't take care of yourself. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt me. You know what I mean? So these are the kind of conversations that we have to have. You know, and that gets us into, um, you know, on one hand, we deal with chronic diseases, you know, heart disease, stroke, cancer, asthma, just to mention a couple. Um, but then we have infectious diseases. And guess what? <laughs> <laughs> Those things do hit us, and oftentimes they kind of hit us when we least expect it. Okay, so for instance, you know, if you re, um, refer to uh, infectious disease, 1918, there was a flu, major flu epidemic. And by the way, flu ep- epidemics have been going on through mankind for a long, long time, a long, long time, and. Um, a lot of people have died by virtue of a lot of these um, epidemics and pandemics historically. Um, 1918 was the most recent one that really kind of affected us. And think about it. You know, it's like, guess what? You get a flu shot. Okay. You get a flu vaccination. And it's our, by the way, it's our best guess on a yearly basis, whether or not um, we're hitting the variant that's floating around. Okay. Okay. 
Well, then all of a sudden, boom, we get hit with this thing called COVID, okay? And um, think about how that has affected, you know, to, to Clarence's point, think about how that has affected us all, how it is that we take care of ourselves in order to hopefully take care of others as as well. A big, by the way, a big component of, of health now is that uh, by virtue of all the information that we have available to us um, and how quickly we have it, um, we become more judgmental. And um, and that can be problematic when when you're you know seeking care. You know, shouldn't I be taking this drug, you know, doctor so and so? Or shouldn't I be doing this or that? And uh, you know, it's not necessarily with with uh, professional knowledge in your head. It's like this quick knowledge or this quick information. It's on that, TV. That's it. I mean, it's, TV. On TV. it's on TV. It's on or uh, social media on Twitter, or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever. Right. You know. So they say if you take it, if you take it, it'll it'll solve all your problems. Right. But then, but then yeah. they'll say if you take this, then they give you about forty five seconds of a of a minute show about all the side effects. Correct. <laughs> so yeah absolutely absolutely the other thing too is that um the younger younger generation what we're starting to see is they're getting connected to the diseases or whether they be chronic or infectious of family members or their older generation so they become knowledgeable from what they see okay it's not necessarily affecting them you know personally but what they see, like a grandma is sick or a mother or a father is sick. And then all of a sudden they become knowledgeable about heart disease mm -hmm. or what a stroke is mm -hmm. or all these other or diabetes. OK. Um, and so it, it's different how we become knowledgeable mm -hmm. today and how we embrace it, I think, is based on. Uh, just the different populations that, you know, how we perceive it from a population perspective. You know, if you're um, African-American, how, how is it that you prefer to get um, your messaging? Or if you're um, American Indian, how do you prefer to get your information? Okay. Um, is it, and Clarence and I know this, is it schmoozing in a barbershop? Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. Or is it um, from a trusted elder, which is um, quite common for the American Indian population? So these are all things that we're being bombarded with <laughs> on, a, on a daily basis. Yeah. See, I wanted to say this. You know, one of the things that, that I, I'm confronted with is, you know, what you talked about is that there are some people says, well, I only want to get my message from this kind of person or that kind of person. You know, and uh, or this, you know, from this this kind of way. One of the things that I truly believe in is that what we need are just authentic providers. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you need to have people that you know. We talk about this whole issue about trust. There, there needs to be a certain amount, you know, for uh, those of us who are in the community to be uh, real transparent. You know, I always talk about do your work without losing your soul. You don't. You don't have to sell out. You know, to to work with communities, but I do think that when people are, are are authentic, that they, regardless of who they deal with, I mean, uh, there is a certain amount of uh, 
of uh, bonding that can happen or trust that can happen. And so I'm one of those kind of people. That's why why I like the the human portion of it is that for me, you know, I think authenticity works, you know, and like I always tell people, I'm not trying to run your life because I can hardly run my own life, you know, but there is some information that we have that we need to uh, to be able to share. But I want to do this. We have a question in the mailbox. I think you saw it, Stan. Um, at 148, you see it in the chat. How should public health universities partner with communities experience health disparities to improve public health? And what should their role be? Okay, All right. young talent, what do you think? I mean. I can definitely jump in on this one. Um, so the University at UMM, um, we actually have a completely student-run clinic it's called the Phillips Neighborhood Clinic, and it's um, all the big health sciences schools collaborate, MHA, MPH, uh, dentistry, pharmacy, nursing, PT, OT, uh, medicine, um, and the clinic is open on Monday and Thursday nights, and it's a free clinic, and it's completely student-run, and that's how um, I've kind of uh, dove in to try and help address health disparities just in my own community. But I think it's a great way to, um, to get involved um, with the public health school that's down the, down the street. So uh, that's personally how I've experienced it. But Matthew and Maddie, do you have any other thing? Yeah, I'll just jump in. Uh, I, you know, when we think of universities, I, you know, over the past couple of years, I think there's this big push for, uh, universities and different, uh, to create collaborations and partnerships with um, community health workers. And I think that's really, you know, it kind of creates this strong partnership of, oh, we may have these resources and we can kind of shift those resources for community health. Because I think, you know, sometimes community health can be underfunded, under-resourced and things like that. But I do think, you know, it's important. I Sometimes, in my experience, I've seen kind of like we, in at the university level, we focus a lot on the research. We, we, we've got the epi down, we got the biostats down, we've got the, the tracking of the information and finding that information. But then there's a disconnect between collecting that information and using that information to improve health. And effectively, you know, connecting that same information with our community partners. And so, you know, I think a university does have this role to be more academic and offer these things, but we do need to work better at making sure we're spreading our information equitably. And I think, you know, a lot of information is behind paywalls nowadays. And that's a, that's an issue. You know, that's a barrier. I mean, if you don't have access to the public libraries or the library's resources, well, then you're not going to get the, the research articles. So I just think that's something maybe we need to work on a bit. I totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. If we're going to be called upon by the state to use state funding to research and research and research to compile all this great information and we are going to use it to make informed decisions. Why can't we have informed behaviors and informed actions along with it? And we don't always see that. You know, I'll tell you, um, it's the infamous question, so what? You know, so we have all this data and, and information. At some point, you got to um, do something with it. Um, you know, one of my, my favorite quotes is from... Um, 
a, a very intelligent man, Einstein, who said, not everything that counts can be counted. And not everything that is counted counts. So it's like, you know, we, we have to do the balance here. Um, we've really gotten more sophisticated in uh, not just outcomes related um, information, but also process. How is it that we get to these points and what things have to change in order to make them truly, truly better health-wise? Um, we have a lot of you know, it's easy for me to say, is is what's going on now wrong? You know, I can make a judgment, is it wrong? And I, I won't go there. I will say it's different. The tools that we have today are just different. Um, many ways better, many ways more complicated and, and confusing. Um, but yet, we forge ahead, right? If we realize it that way, that it's not wrong, just different, I think we'll be more successful um, even at the community level. I think, you know, Clarence, you probably could, you know, would probably agree with that going forward. Yeah, yeah. Maybe did you have something to say? Oh, um, yeah, I was just going to respond to that question first by saying that's a really important question. So I want to definitely thank the audience for bringing that up, especially as, you know, the three of us, the students are definitely, you know, representatives of university right now, um, being students there. And I think the word partnership is really important. And I think a true partnership, authentic partnership has to be really intentional in the way that it's structured. Um, I think especially when you're dealing with large, wealthy institutions like a state university, I think it would be, you know, it's, it's easy for large institutions with um, a lot of financial resources to just sort of point to a community and say like, oh, this is their need. Let's start, you know, researching and implementing different programs and interventions. But um, I think sometimes communities have a lot more to offer than what their, you know, obvious quote unquote needs might be. So I think, you know, asset mapping is really important. I think for representatives of a university, for example, representatives from the University of Minnesota to hold a community forum and to really assess what the needs from the community perspective are um, as a way to kind of go about, a, you know, a first, first steps of, um, of partnerships, collaborations, and of addressing some of these these health disparities. So I just wanted to give my two cents on that. Words of wisdom. I never I never could have articulated that at, at your age. <laughs> you know what? I, I one of the things that I, I was thinking about was the fact that you know we're living longer, uh, and yet it seems like I don't know the uh, the the health uh, for some people they're living better. From a lot of people, they're living bitter, you know, and uh, it's it's really important for us to think about when we talk about the state of the state of Minnesota. I mean, you know, we, we're that we're getting more like Stan and me. I mean, there's more and more of, of us, you know, baby boomers. You're a baby boomer, right, Stan? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a baby boomer, too. I'm a maybe baby buster, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I only think of Buster when I think of a good Buster bar from Dairy. Oh yeah, yeah. okay, 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 okay. <laughs> but but we we're having we we're, we're having uh, 
we're living longer. We have advanced technology, but somehow we still seem to be missing uh, some healing. What do you think is going on? I mean, I get this they- sense. Don't you get the sense that you know? Let's just slow down a little bit here and get the picture of it all so that we all can um, move forward with with uh, methods that we believe are um, reasonable and doable, okay? That we all can say, hey, yeah, I can live with this. You know, at a community level, at an individual level, going going forward. Um, the state of the state, it's different. I guess that's how I would summarize it. Um, it's different. Um, have we made big strides in chronic disease in the last um, 20 years. I don't know necessarily in um, like in the causes of death, but we certainly have made strides in technology and, and intervention. And it might've affected um, longevity, you know, life expectancy more. Um, Wait, wait to see. So next show right next show well um we decided our next show we're doing this kind of monthly to get the ball rolling here the next show will be march 18th and um it is what is public health good question i mean you know look at me i've been in the field for a long time i might have a hard time telling you no <laughs> Yeah, but well, you know, it'll be a good discussion, right. a really, really good discussion, and I'm looking well, forward to that. Yeah, one of the things that I, I, I'm glad that you all selected that because that, that to me is an important question because I, I think that uh, I always tell people like I didn't know what public health was until about uh, maybe about 15 years ago, and I met Dr. Wendy Hellerstadt at the University of Minnesota and uh, some other people that were there, and uh, she, she started talking to me, and I said like, okay, I'm drinking the Kool Aid. I got it. I'm gonna drink the Kool Aid because public health was the was the was the way that she explained it to me was uh, was so c- clear in terms of talking about the work that I've been doing. But as I got out into the field and I talked to other people, people are people are doing public health, but they don't know they don't call it public health. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. people know biomedical health, but they don't understand the social determinants of health. I mean, and they might throw those things, those words out there, but what does it really, really mean? And I think that we have to have a, a conversation and, and a discussion uh, uh, about it. What is it? And Stan, I'm agreeing with you. I've talked to public health people. I've asked them that question and they stutter. <laughs> I mean, so you throw out, oh yeah, well, it's about populations. Okay. Okay. What about populations? You know what I mean? Right, uh, right, so, right. so it, it's it'll be interesting to hear how people are thinking. You know what? And how do we really utilize it? How do we really utilize? It? I mean, I think the, the conversation has already been said a couple of times. Is that we got all this information, all this data? How, how are we going to use public health? And how are we going to utilize people to, to to get it out there? So, yeah. so it's, it's it's March eighteenth, March eighteenth, one thirty. What is public? Pub, what is public health? Public and health. keep in mind for our audience. These are recorded. You can you can still listen to them anytime if you can't tune in live. In the meantime, um, I want to circle back to how this all started. And it started by 
a simple thank you to um, to Maddie, Matthew, and Aaron. Again, you guys are super, super, super. So until next time, health chat away. Mm -hmm.